Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. So we have taken some time over the summer to just do a fun series, and we've uh, been diving into just characteristic sketches, and we're looking at different really amazing people in in the Bible, and we're just drawing from their lives, because we know that God is calling us to live um, really extraordinary lives, that he didn't make any of us for inconsequentiality. That's a tough one. Um, That he's got, he's called us to do um, amazing things in the kingdom. He created us on purpose. And so we're digging in and looking at what God's been doing in different people in the Bible, and it's been super fun. So um, I wanted to kind of begin by just sort of saying to you guys, I wonder if you would agree with me that there are so many things in our lives about having God be God for us that bring blessing. Like, has God been a blessing in your life? No, not at all. Can we get a little loud? Has God been a blessing to you guys? Okay, thank you. It's like, wow, that was going to have to go back to worship or something like that. Um, I, you know, God has so comforted us, changed us. I, I don't know about you guys, but with God, I one of the things I love so much about him is that I experience in, in the Lord an unfailing love towards me no matter what. Isn't it amazing that God loves you even when you might struggle to love yourself, even when you feel like you've messed up in the week, God says, my love for you will never, ever change. One of the things that God has done uh, in, in our community, which is such a blessing, is that he's created this beautiful family life. He's created a group of people to come together, and you guys love on each other, and you bless each other, and we are by, by no means perfect at all, but isn't life together good? Isn't it amazing that God gets to, to, to stir us up to be in friendship with one another? Um, another thing that I really love about being a follower of Jesus and, and having God in my life is that we get to receive, uh, you know, strength when we're, when we need strength, when we're weak, we get to receive comfort when we're grieving, we get to, to experience healing when we're sick. And one of the things that I really love, uh, and if you don't know God very well, one thing I want you to know is that your life has purpose, that God created you for a specific purpose, for something impactful in the world. And so we are a people that we never have to worry about whether our lives mean something. We don't have to worry about whether or not um, we make a difference in the world. We have this great calling on each one of our lives. And so I love I love being a follower of Jesus. I love it. He's changed everything for me. But I want to say at the same time, I don't know if you guys would relate to this, that sometimes being a Christian is challenging. Sometimes following Jesus actually makes life more challenging than it would be in some ways without him, right? Um, Relating to God can be a challenge because of the, the call to personal obedience. We are called to obey God. God, He has commands over our lives. Have you guys, you know, thought about that recently? That He commands us. We are not the captain of our own ships. He is the Lord. And so He calls us to what I believe is a radical type of obedience. And that means that one of the things it means is that we are set apart from the rest of the world. 
And so how we think about our time and how we think about our energy, how we think about our money, how we think about sexuality, how we treat people inside and outside the church, all of those things are directed by the Lord. We submit to him. We endeavor to honor him and obey him. When it comes to thinking about what truth is, we don't define truth for ourselves. We um, invite God to tell us what is what is true and what is right and what is noble. And so sometimes following God challenges us. And one of the ways that I think is maybe the most challenging in the church is that we are not just a people of faith, but we are actually a group of people that are called to share that faith with other people, that this has never been a personal thing that Kevin just gets to have his thing with, with Jesus, but that I am called to be a person that shares the faith that I have with Jesus with other people. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but for many of us, this is sort of that part of our relationship with God that oftentimes can make us feel a little bit itchy. It might make us feel a little bit um, like we're not doing enough or even a little bit guilty or whatever. Um, but this is so central to who we are as followers of Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at this guy named Cornelius. And my hope and my expectation is that Cornelius' story is going to reignite both your passion for sharing your faith, but also I, I hope it will give you a picture of something that is really amazing. And that is that Cornelius' life is going to show you that, in fact, God is already at work all around us in people that we relate to. And we don't even know it yet and they're just waiting to experience him they're just waiting for to 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 be invited into a relationship with Jesus because it's really easy for us to sort of think like if they haven't already been following Jesus they have no interest in doing that at all but God is already at work in people all around you and I hope I can show you that this morning and so we're going to look at Cornelius so who is this guy Cornelius well he is a New Testament guy and Cornelius was a Roman centurion right and so there may be a a couple of you guys that don't know what that is. So Roman centurions were middle ranking officers in the Roman army and they were in charge of the American equivalent of a company and uh, centurion, they were in charge of 100 guys, right? So they were just sort of like middle officers in the Roman army, but they were actually really, really important people. They were important figures. One of the reasons uh, they were important is not just because of their their work in the, in the military, but the, it was oftentimes these middle ranking officers that would either make or break uh, the, the, the emperors of Rome. They were the ones that put these guys into their positions oftentimes and took them out. And so Cornelius was one of these guys, and he was stationed in a town called Caesarea. And Caesarea is, is in Judea, and Caesarea was actually a really important port city. And it was important because it was, the, it was the capital of Judea. It was where the governor lived. But at the same time, it was also really important to the Roman Empire because everything that came into Judea came in through this port city of Caesarea, and, and that's where they were taxed. So everything that came into the country was taxed in Caesarea. So it was really, really an important place to be stationed. And the reason I say that is because there may have been like some slackers in the Roman Empire and the military, but none of those people were in Caesarea. Caesarea had kind of only the best there. And what we're going to discover about Cornelius 
is that he was like a really, really well-respected man. He was respected uh, in the military, but he was also really respected by the community uh, that he was in, in Caesarea. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people that he was around, they loved him. And you're going to discover that he was an excellent man. He did all kinds of really, really great things. As a matter of fact, when he was in, as he was stationed in Caesarea, he actually became a follower of God. Um, but Yahweh, he was a follower of Yahweh, the Jewish God, he knew nothing of Jesus yet. And all of that was about to change. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do a deep dive into Acts chapter 10. And I'll have, I think, all the scriptures up here. But we're just going to kind of read through this. And I'm not going to be able to read the entire chapter, but we're going to read a lot of it. And we're going to get to, we're going to just dig into um, Cornelius' story. Does that sound okay? You guys okay? Here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout, and they were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, this is kind of wild, one day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear, and he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Who's this guy, Simon Peter? Peter, right? He's like the disciple, right? So bring back this guy named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel that spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened. And he sent these guys to Joppa to go get Peter, right? Okay, so we're going to take a pause there. The story continues, but now we're switching locations. We're switching scenes and we're going uh, away from Cornelius. Cornelius in, in Caesarea to Peter, who is in Joppa. Okay, so this is where Peter's staying. And earlier, you know, I talked about how, like, this, this story is all about Cornelius, but really, I want you guys to know that there are three main characters today, and I want you to pay attention to these three characters. And the three main characters are Cornelius, the Apostle Peter, and the Holy Spirit. So keep your ears and your eyes open for all three of those guys, okay? And so, now that we're switching over to Peter, I want to paint a brief picture of who this Peter is, because I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I think of Peter, I think of Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the sort of young, precocious, sort of all over the place guy that was, he was clearly the leader of um, the disciples, but he was also uh, really, really raw in his faith. And so he was constantly getting himself in trouble. He was constantly kind of making promises that he couldn't deliver on. He was just sort of a, 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 you know, sort of a powerful hot mess when he was young. But at this point in his walk with Jesus, even though this is still early in the church, Peter at this point was the clear leader of Christianity. He was authoritatively healing people on the streets and he was without question the decision maker for the entire Christian movement. And you might recall that just before Jesus died, Jesus said to Peter, he looked at me, he said, now I say to you that you are Peter. Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
That is the Peter that I want you to envision uh, this morning. Okay, that's the Peter that we're reading about. And a number of years ago, Molly and I, um, we actually had this amazing opportunity. We got to go to uh, Rome, and we got to go to the Vatican. And and we we spent a, a, a day or two at the Vatican. One of the things that I didn't know about being at the Vatican is that it, we were in, there in the summer, and you weren't allowed to wear shorts in the Vatican. And um, that's what I was wearing. But I happened to have a pair of pants in my backpack, but there was no place to get changed anywhere. And so one of my, uh, I'm glad there wasn't like YouTube or any of those things because I just got dressed in the middle of the Vatican and so that I could go in and some Italians were slightly like, what is this guy doing? Another American, right? But anyway, my point is, is that when we were there, um, I had this sense of like just awe because so much of the Vatican and the Sistine Chapel and all of this stuff, it was, it felt to me like this tribute to this great man of faith, the Apostle Peter. And you guys probably know that Peter was the first Pope of, of the Roman Catholic Church. And when you were there, I just got this, I, I honestly, it just felt like the awe of this, this, the, the life of this man. And of course, you guys know that he was martyred by crucifixion, um, similar to Jesus and it was just this, I just got a sense of like, wow, I'm amazed at what, at who he was and what he did with his life, right? And so this was a powerful moment for me. And Cornelius actually felt this as well. As a matter of fact, we'll find out in a second that when Cornelius met the apostle Peter, do you, do you know what he did? He fell down to worship him. And Peter said, get up, man. I don't, don't be worshiping me. I'm just a man. But Peter carried a lot of weight here. And so we're switching over to Peter. Peter's in Joppa. And it says this. About noon, the following day, as they were there on their journey uh, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call. Here's the key. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, which is kind of like a complete number. It means the deal is sealed. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Okay, so Peter has this vision, and the next thing you know, this group of guys that Cornelius sent, they show up on Peter's doorstep, and they say, Peter, we'd like to have you come with us to meet this guy named Cornelius. And so verse 19 says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit, here's our second main character, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And just, I just want to make a quick aside. One of the things that's sort of interesting is that in this passage, we see sort of the autonomy of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit just directing things according to his own will. So the Peter, you know, the Spirit says, Peter, I sent these guys to you, and now I'm sending you to go back with them. The next day, uh, it says this, the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Those are Jewish believers. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives, 
and his close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, for I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me through this vision, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so I was sent for and I came without raising an objection. And then skipping down to verse 34, it says this, then Peter, who again is the rock, the cornerstone of the church, the first pope, he began to speak and he said, I now realize, and that's a key phrase, I now realize how true it is that God God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then what Peter does is he goes on to preach the gospel of the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and newness of life in in Jesus. And so he preaches this message to all of these Gentile people that didn't know anything about who Jesus was, and they all gave gave their lives to Christ right on the spot, right? And then the miraculous happened. And in verse 44, it says this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those people that came with Peter, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All right, that was a lot of scripture. That was the whole story. But what I want to communicate to you guys is that this was actually a turning point in all of Christianity. This was a historical moment, right? Because before this time, virtually every single uh, follower of Jesus, they were all Jewish, every single one of them, right? There was actually, the, the there was like a couple, the Ethiopian eunuch, and maybe there was a couple of Samaritans in there, but but for the most part, really exclusively, Christianity hadn't yet been born and following Jesus was an exclusively Jewish thing, right? But of course, you guys know that it was always God's plan that the whole world, everybody would come to know Jesus, come to have saving faith in Jesus, come to have newness of life in Christ Jesus, but that that story would be first told by the Jewish people, by the Israelites, right? And that's why at the beginning of the book of Acts, we we hear Jesus saying that that you guys, talking to his disciples, he said, you guys are going to carry the message of the gospel, and you're going to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem? Where? Judea, Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. And really the whole feel and flavor of this whole Jewish move or this, this relationship with God through Judaism, it was so much about separation. It was about being exclusive. It was about being separated from the world. And so to follow God before Jesus came was to be separate. It was to be separate in what you ate. It was to be separate in the holidays that you celebrate. It was to be separated in who you could marry and who you could talk to and who you could have in your house. But suddenly, in this moment, everything changed. And all of those prophecies and all of those promises and all those things that the disciples had been hearing about, um, they began to pick up steam, but not 
No one, nobody knew how this would come to play. Nobody knew how would this work out because their, their sense of separation was so deeply ingrained in them. And so on one hand, they heard Jesus talking about sharing the good news with everyone. And on the other hand, they had no framework for how that could possibly happen. And so in this one moment, God dismantles all of Peter's framework, his whole worldview, by showing him the sheet with all of these animals, right? And he said, you can eat all of that stuff. In other words, there is no more separation. All of this stuff is clean to you. And here's what I was thinking about. What I was thinking about is that it's, it's one thing to have somebody tell you something. It's one thing to have somebody teach you something. It's one thing to have somebody say, listen, man, you're called. We're not supposed to just be here in church on Sundays. We're called to be out there. It's one thing to have a, a pastor saying that to you. It's one thing for you to hear it on a podcast. It's one thing for you to read it in a book. But it's a completely different thing when you see the effect and the plan of what God is doing in real life at work when you encounter it with somebody else, when you encounter it out there, when you get to witness it. And that's why this was such an important moment in Christian history. It wasn't just that that Jesus had taught something because even Jesus' teaching didn't bring revelation to Peter. When Jesus taught it, all the guys were like, "Mm -hmm, that's cool, that makes sense. But in this moment, when Cornelius and his family gave their lives to Christ in one moment, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them in the second moment, suddenly... Peter's eyes were open, and he suddenly realized what was really going on. And I looked at a couple of different uh, versions of this this little epiphany that he had. And in the New International New International Version, it describes it this way: Peter says, "I now now I I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism." In the New Living, it says, "I see very clearly." In the Berean, it says, "I now truly understand." Right. And so, what Peter didn't know in his gut yet before this, and what he learned is that. God is already at work in people, in the hearts of people that are not yet following Jesus. He's already working in their lives. There are people, there were people in your life that God is already moving on. He's already stirring. He's already speaking to, but they don't have any relationship with Jesus at all. You see, Peter thought that these Gentiles had no interest in God, that they would never follow him, but they were in fact dying to know Jesus. They were dying to experience him. And I just wonder, you guys, is it possible that you and I are a tiny bit too much like the old Peter? Is it possible that we we look at the, the people in our lives, we look at our friends, we look at our roommates, we look at our family members, we look at neighbors or people that we go walking with, and we just assume that because they don't already have a relationship with Jesus, we assume that they're not interested. We assume that, that God isn't stirring in them, that he doesn't, that he doesn't have a, a, a plan for them. And that would be a huge mistake for us because what I want us to see is that God is at work in people's lives that you know, and they're just waiting for someone to come and introduce them to Jesus. And so what I want to do is I'm going to have Michi come up. Uh, let's see, where's the mic? There's the mic. So Michi, uh, we got together with Nathan and Michi this week and... She was just kind of sharing her story of coming to faith. Why don't you come on up here? And, uh, and it just really fit well with, uh, with my sermon. And so, uh, this is Michi Gertz. And why don't you just share a little bit of your background? And, uh, yeah. Sounds good. Hello, everyone. I'm going to grab Hi. my water. Right here. I'm Michi. Um, so yeah, Kevin asked me to share, um, 
my testimony of how I came to God, um, cause it reflects a lot of what he's sharing. And so, um, background, I was born and raised in Japan, um, until I was 11. Japan has less than 1% Christianity. I had no knowledge, understanding of the Bible or who Jesus was. Um, none of that was ever taught in me in my childhood. Um, moved to the States, um, kind of fast forward. Um, I had some Christian friends that was pushy with the faith that made me even more um, hesitant about any kind of religion period. I would say I was a religious. I didn't believe in anything. Um, and then when I went to college, I met my now husband, Nathan, um, and he tricked me into going on a mission trip. <laughs> um, so I had no idea that it was a mission trip. Um, how would I go on a mission trip when I don't know God or I don't have faith? Um, I just thought it was like a service project. We'll be working with kids. We'll be in Mexico. Um, so I said yes um, on going on this trip. Um, it was through YWAM they talked about, okay, we're going to practice listening to God. I was freaked out because I had no idea what that looks like, how that works. I don't even believe in God. Um, but really, Holy Spirit in, was moving in me to go on this trip. Um, I was scared to death, but I still went, and there I was in Mexico. <laughs> um, and... Um, the one thing I loved um, during that trip was worship because um, that was one way I knew I could participate. I could sing. I had no idea how to pray. I didn't know how to listen to God, but I could sing along with music. Um, and so while I was there, um, it was about 10-day trip, on Saturday night, um, I had this dream, so it's kind of like the vision. Um, I had a dream where I was living in a very poor community. People were dying out of hunger, starvation, poverty, um, and the only way that this town that I was living in um, was going to survive was if this one man gave up all of his um, belongings and including himself. And if he sacrificed all of that, then the community that I was living in this dream was going to survive. And so I, um, in my dream, I had this vivid image of me sitting on the back of his bike with all of the belongings strapped onto it. And I'm hugging him and telling him, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm weeping, um, because I know that that was the last time I was going to see him. Um, and I woke up from that dream. Many of you can probably guess what that dream was about, um, but I had no idea what that meant. Um, so I woke up from the dream Sunday morning, just really like, wow, that was a very vivid dream with intense emotions, and it made no sense to me because I had no idea who Jesus was. Um, so that Sunday morning, we went to church, during worship, I'm, you know, just singing along, and then I have this encounter, um, and I just felt this physical embrace 
around me. Um, and then I just wept because I knew, I knew that that was God. Um, and in that moment, the dream made sense too. It's amazing. It's just like Kevin said it. God can change things and reveal himself at such a moment. Um, and what I want to highlight about that is, um, when I knew that that was God and when I knew that dream was Jesus and what Jesus had done for me, like he makes it so personal. I could understand what that meant, like for someone to give up everything for me. Um, and what I want to highlight is when I had that encounter, I just was overwhelmed with this sense of like, oh my gosh, I missed you so much. Like, what took so long for you to come and meet me? Like, it was this deep longing in my heart that I didn't even know that was there. Um, and it's, it gets me emotional every time I think about it because he is so amazing isn't he he is so good like I'm just so amazed that he doesn't need people to know have knowledge about him but he can be moving in your heart and just meet you in that moment and reveal himself to you and know and I'm just so I just want to share that and encourage that he is at work in people's hearts there is such deep longing that God has placed in every human's life that people are so unaware that they have deep inside of them but God can change that in the moment when he reveals himself so so Paul um, he, he said it so clearly he laid it out so clearly in Romans chapter 10 he said everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring Good news. And I, it feels to me like he breaks it down. Paul breaks this down, uh, on what must happen. What must happen so clearly that the plan is actually inescapable. We can't wriggle out from underneath this thing. He tells us that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period. Their lives will be forever changed. It works. They will go from death to life. They'll go from slavery to freedom. Freedom. They'll go from being enemies to being sons and daughters, hopelessness to joy. It all comes in the instant that anyone calls on the name of Jesus. And then he says, but how can they call? How can they call unless they don't, unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And I, I want to talk to you about your fill in the blank for a second. I want to talk to you about your fill in the blank. How will your neighbor how will your friend, your coworker, your walking buddy, how will they ever encounter? How will they come to their senses and know the name of the Lord and believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how will they hear unless you 
go to your fill in the blank and tell them about who Jesus is and tell them about what he has done in your life. Because God is saying, you have a Cornelius in your life. You have a friend. You have a coworker. There is someone in your life and God is stirring in their heart. It is true. And it may not be everybody, but there is a Cornelius in your life. And the question is, is will you be a Peter to your Cornelius? Will you be the one whose feet are beautiful, who will bring the message of Jesus? And I want to implore you, There are people in your orbit already, and God is already at work, and they're just waiting for you. Peter had his eyes opened. He had revelation when he met Cornelius. He saw that God had already been at work in his heart. You guys just heard that God was already at work in Michi's heart before she even knew him, when she was afraid of him, when she felt far from him. Jesus was already at work in her heart. He changed her life. And Peter got to see how beautiful it was when someone came to faith. And so I want to, I want to just kind of wrap up with you guys. This is just a really clear and practical sermon. But I just want to tell you, there are Corneliuses in your life. There are people in your life that they're actually desperate to know Jesus. They are longing to be filled with his life. They are longing to know that their life means something. They're longing to get out from underneath the, 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 the brokenness of their life. And they're just waiting for someone to talk to them and say, I have found newness of life in Christ. And so what I want to ask us to do is, um, I just want to ask you this morning that you would just allow the Holy Spirit that directed Cornelius, the Holy Spirit that directed Peter to come together, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the Cornelius in your life. And that you would invite God to send you to get up from your home. Peter had to travel 30 miles to go find this guy in this town. But could God be calling you to get out from under your place of comfort, to get out from the walls of this church, to get out from the walls of your home, and to go and to seek a relationship with that Cornelius in your life that needs to know Jesus? Why don't we stand up? We're going to do some ministry. And I have a, I have kind of a very, very specific application for you guys here. Okay. So um, we're just going to kind of pray and talk a bit, but... Um, I just want you to sort of just open your hearts to just this invitation, this ask, this challenge, this command, however you want to see it, that this relationship that you have with God is, it is personal, but it is not private. We're meant to be giving it away. And so we're going to just spend some time just inviting God to touch our hearts, inviting God to Turn us to be the one who would be sent, the one who would go out and share the message. But um, just real, real specifically, I have this really, really clear ask of you. And I want you to hear me on this. One month from tomorrow, we are offering this course called Alpha Course. How many of you guys have heard of Alpha? A lot of you guys have. So Alpha is, um, it is this 11-week course where we get to invite people that are new to faith, but primarily that are outside of faith, that don't know who Jesus is. And we get to invite them to come into a discussion of the big questions of life and faith and meaning. 
And this, this alpha course that we're going to be offering, it's got a killer format. It starts with food, and then there's a little talk, and then there's discussion. And it's like discussion that is just meant to stir up more discussion. It's like so low pressure. It's just a time to get people to share what they've experienced and what they believe. And it gets them just like close to the presence of Jesus through that time of, of, of just chatting and being with each other in a low pressure environment. And I, I want you guys to hear um, what the topics are. I want you to know what this Alpha course is about that we're going to be launching in a month. So the topics are, is there more to life? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Why and how should I pray? Why and how should I read the Bible? Does God guide us? Who is the Holy Spirit? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I resist evil? How can I make the most of my life? Does God heal today? What about the church? And and how can I tell other people about it? And I have a, a, a dream, you guys, that quite honestly, that every single person in this church would find your Cornelius and that you would bring them to Alpha. And uh, Dan and Kim Oseka, will you guys raise your hands there? They're hosting it, I believe at their house. I would love to pack your house out. Um, and what I'm asking of us as a church is that we would take this call that is on you and that you would receive it and that the way that you would specifically apply it is certainly spiritually that God would turn your heart but that you would pray about who is the one that I am in this season called to invite to Alpha Course and that you would do a really amazing thing and that is that you would go with your friend that you would go to Alpha for a week or two just to help them to get settled in it'll be on Thursdays a month from tomorrow and um we have seen God do amazing things. You know how we did our baptism two weeks ago? And I, I don't know if you were here, but I shared the story of a guy that had a really, really rough background. And because of his rough background, he had come, he had, he'd come to faith in Christ here at Thrive and he asked to be baptized. And this was the guy that said, when you baptize me, Kevin, I want you to hold me under the water as long as you can. Do you remember that? He said, I want you to hold me under the water as long as you can. I can hold my breath for a really, really long time. I just want to experience this newness of life. Well, that guy gave his life to Christ through Alpha Course. Mm -hmm. This is what can happen. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage you, invite you, implore you to be a Peter and to find your Cornelius. And I'm, I'm really excited because I heard the Lord really specifically say that there are a group of people in this room that he's, he's going to use in this way. And um, he was giving me some details that there are some people that are specifically called to this. And what he said was, um, he said, look down. And if you happen to have two, if you happen to have two feet when you look down, that you're actually the one he's calling today. That he wants to actually use you in this very specific and impactful way. So I'm not sure who that might be for, um, but I just felt like he, he was really on that. That's really funny because in my notes, that was the very last line of my story. Uh sermon. The last line of my sermon says, look down at your feet and ask God to make those feet beautiful. Yeah. That's okay. Call. All right. So let's pray. Let's go. Good job. Right. Wonder twins. All right. Well, let's just pray about this together. Let's pray about this together. Lord, we love you. And I, I just, I'm so thankful, God, that there was a guy named Scott that called me 
there was a guy named Scott that invited me uh, to experience a new life with you when I was really, really far away. And so, Father, I just pray your blessing on every person that, that hears this message, every person in this room, every person at home. And I, I've been praying for days that our hearts would be quickened, church. I've been praying for days that our hearts would just be captivated. That our hearts would be like yours, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would make us courageous, that you would make us bold, that you would give us love in our hearts, so much love that we would sacrifice to see others come into a saving faith. Lord, put... um, just put a structure around this for us, Lord. Put wheels on the car, Lord. Just put sneakers on the feet so that we would actually walk this out. I'm just going to um, be quiet for a second, and I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit to pop the name of the, the person, the Cornelius, you're filling the blank, into your mind right now so that you'll be clear about who this person is. Holy Spirit, would you just put that friend or coworker into our hearts and heads right now? Lord, we love you. And um, we want to love those that don't know you just as passionately and intensely as you do. And thank you, Lord, that you came and got us. Thank you that you came and rescued us. Thank you that you came and changed our lives forever and ever. We needed you. So we bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen.